0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.
1: At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. It's Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball with the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run on SENZ. It is just after one o'clock, you are listening to SENZ, this is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Mark Watson sitting in for Ricardo, and alongside me, a man who played 10 tests for the All Blacks, uh, halfback Steve Devine. Afternoon to you, Steve.
2: Yeah, hi, thanks for having me. Uh, Hopefully uh, a more uh, better looking and more intelligent uh, host this week than the uh, than the other halfback who's normally on.
1: I, 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 Yeah, no, that's fair to say. Fair to say. Um, I really don't know what to say there. You've taken me off the mark. Justin Marshall, is he better looking than Justin Marshall? Surely. Is he a better halfback than Justin Marshall? Didn't play as many tests, but then probably
2: not better. He halfback. didn't play
1: for the Crusaders either. And let's be honest: if you play for the Crusaders, you're probably going to play for the All Blacks, aren't you? There's well, a little bit of that goes on, doesn't there, Steve? I'm, sure,
2: I'm sure there's a little bit of that going yeah, on. Yeah.
1: Anyway, we kicked off too with the Foo Fighters. Just um, yeah, Taylor Hawkins, drummer, passing away yesterday at the age of 50 over there in South America. Terribly sad. Never like to hear that. Never like to hear that. Yeah, the life of a rock and roll star.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a hard one, eh? Um, young family as well, so um, horrific. Yeah,
1: Shane Warne
2: and yeah, yeah well the great SK Warne, yeah, was um, another hard one. There's been a few this year. Jo- yeah. Good mate Joelly and, yeah, and, uh, and-, and Inga. So it's been uh, there's been a tough year for for sport, particularly with um, yeah. some passing of some great men.
1: Yeah, and then Kenny McFadden, great basketball coach, and 1985. A lot of people might not remember this. 1985, actually, their national basketball final was sort of broadcast live into everyone's living room, and Kenny McFadden for the Wellington Saints had a three-pointer buzzer beater to win it. And my understanding is it's still the most viewed sporting event of the 1980s it actually had a higher ratings that night than even the America's Cup and even the Rugby World Cup in 87. Wow. All canning McFadden Wow, that's there pretty cool. There you go uh, Right, um, yeah we're talking all things rugby, telephone numbers 0800 150 811 0800 150 811, you can text us here on 8833, we'd love to get your thoughts on all things super rugby over the last 48 hours, the Blues getting up yesterday, beating the Highlanders, the Crusaders riding the wrongs from a couple of weeks ago and getting the job done against the Chiefs. I, I want to kick off first, Steve. I just want to look at the Blues. I sort of had a feeling yesterday that the Blues might just click and really put this Highlander side away but it seemed almost uh, a blueprint of previous weeks. What is it that they're lacking at the moment? They're just There just seems to be something lacking in this Blues team. There's plenty of energy. There's plenty of youthful exuberance but it seems very sort of just concentration just seems to drop off at key points
2: yeah yeah 100% right they are a very good team and probably the best they've played all year is the the only game they've lost um against the hurricanes that first 70 minutes they played was pretty outstanding to be fair and they just i i, I think they're young and i just think they don't quite have that killer instinct yet uh i think it's i think it's coming they just they're just not quite hardened yet, and when when things get hard, there's still a little bit of panic, and everyone sort of looks at each other a little bit. I just, I know it's coming. I just, they're not hardened. They're not hardened rugby professionals yet. Is it the coach's job to get them
1: hardened, or is it just time in the game that makes you hardened? I mean, is there anything that Leon McDonald can say? Does he say, "Look, guys, we want discipline, but we don't want you to be angels"? Or is it an inherent thing?
2: I, I heard an interview, I used to think about this when I was playing even, you know, like what, what's the difference between, you know, us performing well some week and us not performing well some week and I heard an interview, um, this is probably, you know, 10, 15, well maybe 20 years ago from um, the Brisbane Broncos coach, um, he was the Brisbane Broncos coach at the time? Wayne Bennett? Wayne Bennett uh, and he was talking, to, he, he said that he's not even really interested in a player, um, he can have all the skills in the world, be bigger, and strong as anyone, but he's not really interested To he's played 50 NRL games. Yeah. Like, once you've played 50, you start to get that understanding and that experience and, and you, you start to know about your own game, how to prepare properly and, and what to do. And I, I just... I just think that's the difference for the Blues. Right? They just don't have that that experience across the board. There, there's a few that have played a lot, but there's, there's also a few that haven't played many.
1: Yeah, we just seem to lack that sort of Zinzan Brooke or that Sean Fitzpatrick, somebody that just at times even just provides that little bit of reassurance, say, hey, look, I will lead, you follow. And you'll actually find it okay if, you, you, if we go down this path together.
2: Yeah, and, and th- those guys were also great leaders, but they were great leaders uh, in a time of uh, guys who had played a lot of rugby, I know, and just at the moment, we've got some great leaders in the team, but there's there's just a majority maybe of the team haven't had that fifty games experience. There, they're a bit young. They're a bit. You look at someone like the Crusaders. You know, they look across the board. They've, there's a few young kids, but a majority of them, a majority of the Crusaders team that they feel most weeks, uh, would definitely uh, last night. Um, have played fifty and, uh, yeah. and and more.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because you look at a player like Offa Tuangavasi. Um, you say to yourself, "Look, very, very experienced, but he seems to only ever play a bit part. He either plays one half or the other." You look at Nepo Laulala, he tends to play the second half of games. But the, just just looking at them, they, they just their personalities also just perhaps don't suggest that. Um,
2: they're not angry men. Are they're they? not angry men. Exactly. Yeah. They're not. They're not angry, and 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 that's okay because not everyone has to be angry. Otherwise, you run into a few issues. You'll. You but you've got to have a few, right? You've got to have a few people in the team that really know how to push the buttons and really know how to get uh, the most out of people around them and. Again, that comes with experience and, and we're, the Blues, I feel, we're just not quite there. We, we, we will get there, but it's just not happening just yet. Telephone
1: numbers is Steve Devine, Mark Watson with you, taking your calls. Brian, good afternoon. Welcome.
0: Good afternoon. Um, just um, watching the games over the weekend and seeing a couple of nasty head injuries, um, I was thinking the people that formulate the laws seem to be contrary to the intention of less head injuries because on the one hand you have the law where if you hold the player up in the tackle there's a turnover and on the other hand we have the law where if there's any head contact it's uh, yellow or red. Obviously the one is in complete contradiction to the other. You know, we've got to decide that we're going to tackle low, and that's it. That law should not be on the books because it leads to all of these head injuries.
1: Well, so, sorry, just brings a bit of clarity, Brian. So you're saying that holding a player up in the tackle, holding them up, and so it's a, it's a maul, and then for they've, they've the turnover, that's leading to head injuries. Is that what you're suggesting? Yes,
0: because you see, the first tackler that comes in, especially in a close encounter where there's one or two uh, tacklers, Will stand in the tackle to hold them up while the their, their cohorts arrive, but that's where you're getting injuries with the first tackle, you know, head contact or whatever. And um, to me, to me, it seems to be a needless law, and contrary to what the, all of the powers that be are saying about, you know, the safety in the tackle.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think definitely we have a serious issue with. Um you know for me personally it comes down to intent like the, the game of rugby moves so quickly at high speed these days like we're talking about big athletes moving very quick and you know people turning and falling and the, there's all sorts of uh things that happen in you in, in a millisecond um but the big thing that that i find that's different you know you're gonna we don't want to see head knocks but occasionally just because of the way the game's played you it's going to happen and where two players heads collide i don't Really deem it to be uh, intentional, and it's no. If there's no intent, a player shouldn't be sent off the field with a red card. I, I, that's what I believe. Absolutely
0: agree. An I accidental. Agree with that.
2: Like the the brumbies, the, the, the brumbies
0: are going to be exacerbated, aren't they? When you have that law.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. Sometimes uh, head-on head clashes is, is is going to happen, and no one can help that, and no one really tries to do that, but. Uh, if if the intent's not there, a player shouldn't be red-carded. I think if it's a head-on-head, head, if, if it's an accident, we've got to protect the players. It's got to be a yellow card, 10 minutes, but it shouldn't be any more than
0: Okay, that. I agree completely, but you can see where I'm coming from. You know, uh, being uh, 77 years of age, I come from the era when low tackling was the, the
1: thing, you know? Yeah, High you, tackling you, was almost unheard of.
2: You, you can see there's still low tackling and... and you know, Oh
1: look, I I think too, Brian, look, if players have just got a lot bigger, the game's played a lot faster now, there's a lot of less time. Um I don't I, I genuinely believe that most players these days don't go into any tackle with the intent of going high. Um and you know, the game's okay, not right. the game the, I understand. and Brian, the game's not played in slow motion and sometimes when they slow everything down, I think a lot of these times it looks a lot worse and therefore, you know, the when they go upstairs and they go to the um third referee Uh, you know, they're left with no choice but to act under the laws. And I think the laws, like all laws at times, can be a little bit of an ass.
0: Yeah, well, it's diametrically opposed to everything that I grew up with. But I agree, I am from another age, and uh, Mm.
1: we didn't have these huge guys, you know? No, no. It seems to me... No, look, thanks for your call, Brian. Lovely to kick the programme off with you. Telephone number's 0800 150811. Uh, We were having a chat, uh, Steve, prior to coming to air, talking about one thing that we think would tidy up a lot of the issues surrounding rugby so that we're not spending every day after a game of rugby talking about the referees and the interpretation is bring back rucking. Why do we not have rucking? What is the problem with rucking? What, little Johnny's going to get, what, a few sprig marks down the back?
2: Well, I don't think it needs to be in the amateur game. I think, I think we're talking about professional games here. So you're talking um, uh, ITM Cup, uh, if, it, if that's what it's called, going forward. Uh, we're talking professional professional games of rugby, super rugby, test, test rugby, any professional game, uh, let the players deal with um, infringements at the ruck. Um as a past player, you know when I first started, rucking was allowed, and there was quick ball because um, you were only ever stupid enough to do it once a game to jump on the ball to try and slow it down, and everyone did it, and you, you got mm-hmm. dealt to. and And the game moved forward. I let the referees ref, uh, you know, rugby instead of refing every single every single ruck and ball. And let's be honest, there's probably three four hundred of them now mm-hmm. in a game. So let the play sort it out. It'll get sorted out if you're only you're only brave enough to jump in there once, twice a game. You're not you're not doing it every ruck.
1: 800 150 is the number. We are taking your calls. You're listening to SENZ. Look, we've just sort of gone on a slight tangent here. I just want to come back to that blues discussion we were having and the importance of experience, the importance of time in the game and developing that hardness, that ability to um, respond to pressure, uh, to lift under pressure. Um, There's a saying that, Experience is only a supplement for talent, not a substitute. But you've got to have that balance, don't you? You do have to have some old heads in there, and that's appears what the Blues are still lacking.
2: Yeah, I, I'm. I'm gonna like, Can they play great rugby? And and no one will doubt that um, they have put performances together for twenty or thirty minutes. You know, but you the when when you're experience and you've got some old heads in there, that that twenty or thirty minutes becomes. Uh, 70 to 80 minutes mm. or, or even a bit longer, you know, and th- and that's the difference I think right now we're seeing, are the Blues a good enough team to win this competition? I think 100% yes they are, but in the games, all the games we've seen so far when the heat really comes on, when the heat really comes on the they the, they're not quite in that position yet to nail it. And and every game they've had, the last 10 minutes has been, oh, you know, this could go either way.
1: When does Rico Awani have that breakthrough? When does Rico Awani step up and take some responsibility and take some leadership and start asking questions? See, because I see some sometimes mature heads on more inexperienced players. I'll take Jack Goodjew as an example. Jack Goodjew from a young age seemed to be a guy who in that Canterbury back line, even in that all black line, seemed to be an organiser. Yet, you know, you look at his... You, you look at his time in the game—not that long.
2: Yeah, I mean, some some players are different. Some some players have more skills. Some players have less, but are uh, organised better. So, you know, I, 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 when's Rico going to mature into um, you know this this guy that can make others work around him? I, I, I'm not sure about that. Um, I hope it's soon. He's he's certainly a super athlete. No one no one's ever going to doubt. He's big. He's strong, and he's really fast. So he's got through credentials, it's it's just about his time and how he develops himself to to be able to get people around him working but better. But
1: surely the position of centre requires a mature head. The centre is such a key position. You talk about the spine in rugby league, I'll argue that the centre in New Zealand rugby were good when we had a Conrad Smith, when we've got an intelligent guy there who knows how to get things organised. And again, I'm a big Jack Goodhue fan, where others might not maybe see the glamour that perhaps other players bring to that role. And so I'm, the, the question is is... Rico Awani, is centre the best position for him within this Blues backline.
2: Um, yeah, listen, I like him at centre. I, I think um, he he works. He's starting to work a lot off the ball now, which which has been something that he hasn't done well. Um, can he get involved more? I say probably yeah, he can. But you know, just it's 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 coming. He's he's a work he's a work on progress type player. He's he's still very young. We got to we got to remember that he's still he's still a kid. Um, so. I guess about having people around. Like this, Blues backline's a different backline when Barrett's at ten, right?
1: Oh, they looked good yesterday in that first half. Yeah, like magnificent, did not they? And
2: they're just, they're just a more composed team, and everyone's sort of, everyone's a bit relaxed, and then they can just worry about doing their own job. So, you know, having Boat in there is huge for them. Just, just, just for experience, you can see when he walks in, when he came off the bench a few weeks ago, that you could just see them breathe a sigh of relief and like, okay, we've got someone, you know, to, mm. to lead us around the field now. So, that's good for. Them. I, do I think he's going to be a world class centre? Yeah, I do think he's going to be a world class centre. We just we just need to give him time. He's still a kid. He's still he's he's still learning his trade. Uh, he's he's pretty he's still yeah, pretty but well. but New
1: Zealand at it. rugby doesn't tolerate that mentality. That mantra at All black level give them time. That doesn't happen with the All Blacks. You play two bad games, you're gone. You know, we because of the legacy of the All Blacks that the All Blacks are not allowed to lose. We don't have we we don't have the freedom that say Australia have. We're there happy to go two years without winning, but. They develop, they'll take a player who might be fundamentally flawed but over time he develops into a very good player. You know, they find the 10 reasons why a player should get picked. We have this mentality in New Zealand, the 10 reasons why you shouldn't be picked.
2: Yeah, but at this level, Super Rugby, this is the level for those All Blacks to learn their trade, all right? So yes, if he doesn't play well for the All Blacks, he doesn't get selected for the All Blacks. But at Super Rugby level, this is, this is the level that the players are learning their trade. So you've got to... You've so got as
1: fans, we should be a bit more
2: we we got to patient we, we just got to understand that these that we're still dealing with kids here all right you know we can't put the expectations of the world on top of their shoulders week in and week out cuz it's not going to do them any good we just we just got to give them time and understand that he will turn into something special like no one has any doubt about that we just got to give him some time i i i think he's is is such an athlete and um you know, we got Bryce Seam playing inside of him at the moment at 12 due to injury. I don't think, um, you know, anyone's going to suggest Bryce Seam is the world's best number 12. We, we bring Roger back in, into that team, give him a little bit more confidence. You've got a, an older head inside of him. You've got Bowden Barrett there inside of him. You know, I, in terms of the wingers, there's a lot of inexperience past Rico at the moment. You know, it's always the... the for me, when I was playing, our wingers were given free reign to talk as much and do, like, they've got time. Being on the wing to see what see where the space is, so most of our stuff the wingers were talking space, talking it in, and then we we'll, we were doing what the wingers were saying because they've got more time. So, may, you know, maybe maybe it's the outside three that are not communicating enough to Rico, maybe. But in terms of in terms of being an athlete, I, I think. I think in time, if we just give him a little bit more, he's going to turn into something mm. really special.
1: I'd love to get your thoughts on this one. 0800 is the number. 0800 You can text us on 8833. Just a text that has come through. Hi, Mark and Steve. What about Caleb Clark? First pick, all black wing. And do seems to be hitting his straps. Let's hope Bowden okay. Um, and is playing, and is playing um, back real soon.
2: Yeah, um, Caleb is playing great footy. Uh, Hostings look they are another two athletes right um Caleb and Hostings are another two guys but they don't have that anger and that aggression that some other players have and back in my era that that players were famous for it's just not who they are and it doesn't mean they're not going to be great rugby players it just means that they 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 work a little bit differently they're not they're not super aggressive they're not trying to Punch your face off. They're not trying to rock you. You know, they're just they're just athletes, and they and they're doing their okay. trade with a cool head. And
1: I, I, the, the the player with the most potential in terms of bringing that little bit of mongrel, but also that it is a oh, Kurt Eklund.
2: Yep, playing great footy.
1: Is he? Is he? Has he got a little bit of that he, s- he, sort he, of mongrel in it? Or he I mean does. That, I mean, I mean that in an affectionate way.
2: Yeah. Well, you you got to have a. Everyone's got to have a little bit of a right to be playing at that level. But you know, sometimes you know, I look in the past, the guys who I played with, like Troy Flavel. Maybe, maybe went a little bit too far on types. Maybe, so you know, there there is a line, and I just think that the the young kids today they don't sort of have that type aggression. It's it's I don't know. The kids are different. Then,
1: but do we need to when we're identifying young talent? Do we need to have that as a definition of talent to a degree in certain positions? Should we be encouraging it to a degree though?
2: I, I think kids today are, are brought up to control their aggression a hell of a lot more, and, and that's part of it. Like, do they want to perform? Yes. Uh, are they capable? Yes. But do they have to be ruthlessly, like, an absolute terror and, and punch and gouge and bite to get there? I, I don't think we're going to see that with our kids going forward. It doesn't mean it didn't work for us. And I know the guys before my time, you know, playing rugby was all about punching and fighting and, and you know, it was, it was a street fight back in the day you know the, those tests of the eighties and nineties they were they were just street fights and you could you found oh I
1: went to the war on the shore in nineteen ninety yeah. was ninety four was
2: it yeah well you, you basically found the biggest at pack the... of eight mongrels you could find in the world right, and they were your ford pack and and that's what rugby was, and so the game has moved on, and now we're looking at kids that sort of control their aggression a little bit more and they don't they don't need to go to that level but then
1: you of... you also had the Michael Jones though didn't you who had a very controlled aggression
2: he did. And, and and probably one of the best at it, I, I would say. You know, I, I, I played with Michael, and he he didn't have to say anything. He looked at you, and you knew that you're in trouble if you'd done something wrong. And that's and that's all it was. And you know, maybe maybe that's what our kids need. I, it's 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 a different. The world's changing out there, and just because a kid does not have that ruthless mongrel about him doesn't mean he's not going to be a great rugby player.
1: Interesting discussion. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one. The makeup of a rugby player, the mindset. How important is there just having a little bit of that mongrel in there, that enforcer? They have it in ice hockey, two paid enforcers. If you come on, mess up the stars, these boys will come on and rock your world. We don't want to maybe quite get to that, but do all the great sides have to have an enforcer? Do the All Blacks currently have an enforcer? We look at probably what was described as an average season last year, when you run through that All Black team, is there enough mongrel in it? Is that what we're missing perhaps? 0800 811 Mark Watson alongside of me, Steve Devine, a man who played 10 tests for the All Blacks. Love to get your thoughts, keep the texts coming, we will look at the Highlanders, it's not going to be a Blues show, and we'll also then look at, of course, um, the Crusaders riding the wrong, getting up and beating the Chiefs last night in Hamilton. After 2 o'clock 2 we'll head across to Australia, get an update on the Australian Super Rugby competition, Peter Mears will join us, 21 and a half minutes after one. No, far better looking than both of those gentlemen, Mark Watson, alongside of me, Steve Devine. We are taking your calls on oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one. Let's talk about the Highlanders. They had their opportunities yesterday. Um, a lot of people, and myself included, have probably written them off a little bit against the Blues, but we're two for them.
2: Listen, I, I think that they're there or thereabouts. You know, the, the hard thing about the f- the first half of this competition for the Highlanders and probably Minor Pacifica as well is that they're playing the toughest five teams in the competition uh every week you know so to 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 make the finals in super rugby this year you got to make the top eight and the highlanders uh i know they haven't won a game yet but they just need to beat uh if they beat every aussie team which is which is a possibility they're they're in the top eight so i I, do they need to hit the alarm bells I, i don't think so just yet but they need to to make sure they're building their game and I thought they were. I thought they were pretty close on on Saturday. Um, I thought they were pretty close. They didn't like they didn't play bad. They, you know, they let themselves down a little bit at times. But I, I think that was more the Auckland team, uh, the Blues, really standing up and you know playing some good footy. The first try, Caleb, you know, that was that was just you know an outstanding run on a good line. The the, the try just before halftime to Bowden Barrett, you know, there was a little bit of uh, it could have gone either way at the back of the scrum, you know, and then. So they're there or thereabouts. I wouldn't be hitting the the alarm bells right yet, just yet.
1: When you watch a game between, say, the Blues and the Highlanders, uh, somebody who's played at your level and can understand the subtleties of the game, do you see two different coaching styles at play? Do the Highlanders play a different game to the Blues? Has Tony Brown got to build a style of rugby around the players that he's got, the plumbing that he's got to deal with? And if so, what is that style for the Highlanders?
2: well uh, the the highlanders are the battlers right they they don't have 15 16 all blacks they they have a couple they they're the battlers team you know and they they pride themselves on being the underdogs every week and they go out and they compete and are they getting are they doing anything majorly different to the other teams i i don't think so they're just they're just probably a little bit underpowered but in a couple of weeks when they come mm-hmm. again, up against the aussie teams they're not going to be underpowered they're going to be overpowered I, the, the first two trial matches they played this year um, down in Queenstown, they they were outstanding. Like their their ruck ball speed and their retention of the ball was it was out there. They won both games clearly. And uh, they're outstanding. they just, since the comps kicked off, they just maybe lost their way a little bit at ruck speed and they've also lost their way on retention. They they sort of are struggling to hang on to the ball for multiple phases.
1: We've just talked about the Blues, how we feel at times they just lack a little bit of that mongrel or they just lack a little bit of that hard edge. Um, you've just talked a little bit here about the Highlanders. Um, far from perfect, not a bad side, got some potential going forward is sort of what I'm taking from you. We then go back across and we look at the Hurricanes beaten by Moana Pacifica. Then a good game played last night between the Chiefs and the Crusaders. And I'll be interested to get your thoughts on that game because the alarm bells are ringing slightly on my head that perhaps New Zealand rugby at the moment is lacking experience, is lacking mongrel and arguably might just be lacking some real depth in key positions because all of these sides at the moment seem somewhat flawed.
2: Yeah, I, listen, it, it, we, I watched a fair bit of the Six Nations um, through the earlier part of this year, and they are their rugby is different, but they, they're they very, um, um, you know, they're really structured. They, they, they get it that no one plays any rugby until you're in the opposition's half, and then you basically play for a penalty. And then once you get the penalty penalty advantage, you you then try and play rugby. And if it doesn't work, you come back and you kick your penalty and you start all over again. There's just this tug of war to see uh, in which half you can play your footy and make sure it's so not the, your own. So
1: they play the percentages. They
2: play the big percentages and they play hard. They have massive, massive influence on set piece. So scrum and line out is just it's huge... Um, and then they just basically play for a penalty. And then once you get the penalty advantage, then you go all out to try and score a try. And if you don't, you come back, you kick a penalty, and, you, and, you, and, that, and that's all it is. So it, it's usually structured, like hugely they have big defenses that just huge amount of line speed, and they get up and they rush in like a rugby league defense, right? So uh, we are different. Uh, we run and throw the ball around, kick and chase, and we try and make it a, a, an entertaining game of rugby. If you did that down here, you you wouldn't get many people watching. So there, there is definitely two types of rugby, and ours is more helter-skelter and run around.
1: But we need to make the adjustment, don't we? Surely over the next 18 months we've got to make the adjustment.
2: 100%. I with what we do down here in super rugby it doesn't allow us to compete with what happens right now up in the northern hemisphere we just
1: but we also then pick, we pick players don't we based on the style of rugby we want to play here yes. and therefore we tend to ignore yes the type of player that perhaps we need yes i, I to, to,
2: to, to, that's to, our problem we we don't have a we don't have a plan b and at the moment the northern hemisphere and the Springboks game can stop us in the past, in the past 20 years, no one's been able to stop us. We get to that last 20 minutes and, and they're spent, they're off their feet and we blow we blow teams away. If it's not the last 20, it's the last 10 minutes. But the game is so, they've slowed the game down so much up there. Every stoppage, you know, the water boy's on, the ref calls time and, it, and you know, an eighty minute game now takes an hour and a half to play in mm. the Northern hemisphere across the board. And,
1: and that automatically negates all black fitness, doesn't it?
2: And it does. So then it, takes it back to this big massive power game and you've got to be strong and we, we we just because we do so much running down here in super rugby we just don't have those big power boys we we just don't have them
1: but we're going to need them so where are they
2: we don't have them because we're running too much what we need to do is stop running so much put these boys in the gym get them massively strong so they can't run but they can run into people and and that's that's what the UK teams have done and they just they're just massive big gym junkie boys that are massively strong but they can't run for any more than 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 six or seven phases without being out on their feet because they know there's going to be a stoppage or a kick and then they put a prop down and they everyone gets to have a, a good rest and you know, that's what happens up there. And that's why we've struggled at the end of last season. That's why we've struggled towards the end of matches.
1: It's interesting, though, isn't it? I mean, the best 10 minutes of rugby we played all of last year was actually in the first 10 minutes of the second half against the French. We played direct. We went up through the middle. Yep. And we sort of suddenly had the French on the back foot. I think we know how to play that game, but we still seem to be able to, we just don't seem to have that ability to back ourselves and be a little bit more direct and say our style of rugby actually needs to be a little bit more pick and go before we go wide
2: yeah I, I, there's there's definitely been a shift this year in super rugby that i've seen in terms of ruck ball our ruck ball has got better has got faster just explain the definition of what you mean by ruck so, ball just for so, people that so ruck ball you, you have a tackle and the the time between the halfback passing to have another phase is 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 uh, ruck speed and and the you know how fast you can get your ruck ball so by having rucks that are slow like 5 seconds you know the halfbacks trying to fish the ball finally finds the ball and passes it that allows the to get sit and and then you're running back into a brick wall so you know the first... So ruck speed, you've got to have your cleaners. You've got to have, got to have like as soon as a tackler is made, he places the ball, it's got to be gone. And that's your ruck speed. If you can do that five or six phases in a row, you're often getting over the advantage line very quickly.
1: So whose responsibility? Is that the responsibility on the halfback? Is that responsibility on your so-called that terminology, the cleaners?
2: Well, initially the cleaners, because once there's a tackle, the cleaners have got to get past the ball, and the halfback's got to be there then to pass. But, you know, when we went to the UK last year, we we would get tackled, and it would take, you know, two Two, three, four, five times, some to clean the ruck and then the balls there. But it's been four, five seconds, and that's that's a long time. Okay,
1: you've just got me here slightly confused because you've just talked about the northern hemisphere, big guys in the gym, really, really strong. Maybe not that quite that athleticism. So if that's the style of play, how 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 are they managing to do that? How are they managing to get? Quick ruck ball. Are they getting quick ruck ball? Well,
2: you look at it, the Irish team. I think they're the best in the world right now at it. They they just they just a guy gets tackled and he's they, got two players on their feet right there, and he can place the ball and it's gone again really quickly. And they they don't run a lot. They just sort of they just stay in their channels, so they're not running from side to side to side to side as a forward pack. They just sort of stay in their channels, and it, the ruck ball is really quick. They've got uh, Gibson Park, um, ex Auckland boy, um, just probably playing behind the, the best forward pack in terms of ruck ball in the world and he, and it's just on a diamond. It's there, every ruck and he's gone and the ball's gone.
1: And do you think that message has been sent out to the Super Rugby sides or have those coaches individually within the New Zealand Super Rugby franchises um, identified that themselves?
2: I, I think that would have been identified then the last year is that our ruck ball is just too slow. So I've seen it this year. Uh, another guy who's back, Joe Smith, he's back from, from up there. Yep. He's been involved in the Blues. That first half, like, Blues Hurricanes I've seen, that was as good as I've seen. You know, it looked like Ireland playing, attacking rugby. That's what it looked like. So uh, I'm seeing the other teams. The Chiefs also work pretty hard on their ball, and, it, and it's good and it's quick when they get it going. Sometimes they don't have it for long phases, but it, like the first game they played the Crusaders where they won that last 20 minutes, they they were all they had ruck ball the whole time and it was quick the whole time and they scored tries.
1: It is 24 and a half minutes away from 2 o'clock you're listening to SENZ. Mark Watson along with Steve Devine we are taking your calls on 0800 you can text us here on 8833 uh, keep your text coming back with more. Yes, no, Mark Watson Steve Devine with you here on SENZ now just reminded too guys we do want you to check out Bunnings Trade Help Business, it's their trade, Okay, so if if you are looking at doing stuff around the home at the moment, um, whatever it is, do check out Bunnings. They're the company that are getting behind this particular show, bringing you uh, the sports that you love. So do check out Bunnings. Right. We are taking your calls on 0800 811. Mark, good afternoon. Welcome.
3: Kia ora, fellas. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Good. You know, I'm really glad I'm half Kiwi on my mum's side because at least the Kiwis are getting a lot of good wins in rugby rather than the Australians because I'm Aussie on my dad's side so there is some measure of comfort I can take in how my dual nationality is going with regard to sports but I'd just like to get both your opinions on where you think Australian rugby needs to improve as in the Wallabies from is it like from the top down from the coach down is it just Uh, the players with regard to they need to pick up their technique, they need to learn new skills, their current techniques are outdated or what?
2: Yeah, the Aussie teams are struggling. Uh, There's no no doubt about that and I think uh, a couple of them are looking pretty good at the moment but I think in uh, three or four weeks uh, they may not be looking so good. Um, I just think they try, the Aussie teams uh, try and play rugby league against... um, Teams and which is more just more direct, like running into people rather than trying to run around people like the great Aussie teams of the past have done.
1: Yeah, yeah just, sorry, I'll just sorry. jump in. It's just jump in We've got Peter Mears on after two, who and I had him on a couple of weeks ago, one of the great Australian rugby commentators. And Peter was actually saying that you know, when he was watching the game in the 70s and 80s, particularly the Australians, he always felt the Australian backlines were better than New Zealand teams, but he always felt that. New Zealand had the better forwards, and now he says that look, New Zealand rugby have got better forwards and better backs. So it's interesting what you're saying because that's what you're saying that they've moved away from being dynamic.
2: Yeah, and then so they try and play really direct and run over the top of you, which, I which works against the other Aussie teams for for the Brumbies and and also for the for the Reds. But then they come up against the New Zealand teams that are that are bigger and stronger, and they still try and play this running over the top of you game, and it, and it just doesn't work for them. They they lose uh forward momentum they lose they lose everything because they just don't have the power game to get over the top and I, i've done a bit of coaching over in australia i did some schoolboy coaching before covid hit over there um and it was the same sort of thing and uh, we we bought in some stuff where we we started again to try and run around teams that were bigger and stronger than than the team I was touching, and we did really well so i just uh, is I it a, the
1: influence of rugby league
2: yeah a hundred percent and I'll, I'll see there's there's Sort of a handful of schools in Sydney that play rugby union right in in Sydney and um, a lot of the a lot of the great kids like that are plucked from everywhere signed to the rugby league clubs get sent to the rugby schools because they're great schools they get sent there to get an education and, and play rugby so it is like the, the better kids in rugby union schoolboys in Australia are rugby league, and they go straight to rugby league after school. So it is there is a rugby league element of Australian schoolboy rugby. Who's your, who? What team do you support over there, Mark?
3: Well, I support the Penrith Panthers when it comes to NRL. Yeah, but we're talking rugby, but, uh, Mark. When it comes to union, <laughs> I support the Waratahs, because I live in Sydney, uh, proud New South Welshman. Mm. My brother's a Queenslander, mm. so we have very fierce rivalries when it comes to, like the Reds versus the Warriors and uh with regard to rugby league uh, state of origin too ironically he's living in New Zealand at the moment uh in the Marlborough the uh Queen Charlotte Sounds he oh, runs the Queen man. Charlotte Tavern there
2: lucky man Indeed. Uh, mate, I, I, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of this Waratahs team, but they are kids. Like most of them are twenty, twenty-one. There's some really, really talented boys in that rugby in that Waratahs team, but they're just going to be kids. And I'm not sure if they're going to be around in three years because they have been beat up every week. As they're just they 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 they're good players are just too young, and there's not enough old heads around them to to carry them. It's Super rugby is a tough game week in, week out, and it, yep. it's really hard for 20, 21 year old kids to to perform week in and week out. I just I just think they they rely too much on their these kids that can be great. That's that's the, I think the problem yep. with the Waratahs.
1: Hey, thanks, Mark. Lovely to hear from you. We do appreciate you funding the program. Um, we encourage other people to get on, jump on the phones. Oh, eight hundred one five zero eight double one is the number. You can text us here on double eight double five. Steve. Before we just take our next break. Coaching, there doesn't seem to be a lot of IP in Australia. What's happened to all the great Australian coaches? I mean, you can talk all you want about straight running and looking to run over the top of sides and something, forgotten their flair, but surely you've got to coach that from a young age. Does Australia have the coaching depth? Do they have the knowledge?
2: Yeah, I, they do. I, I, I talk. I can talk about New South Wales and Sydney because I, I, I've been there a little bit in the last few years. They, they have a really good club scene, uh, Shoot Shield it's called, um, which... You know, there's a lot of teams. There's a lot of good players. There's there's guys there learning their their trade. There's kids, and um, I think there's a real disconnect between the Waratahs and Sydney Club Rugby. So there's a real there's a real disconnect. They'll pick the odd kid that may not be may not be performing in Shoot Shield, but is bigger and stronger then Someone's performing really well, and the Waratahs will pick the bigger and stronger kids, saying we'll get them to our level and they'll play better. And it, it hasn't been the case, it's, there's a real disconnect between club rugby in Sydney and the Waratahs. And then I think there's also another disconnect between you know, Australian, Australian rugby spend a lot of money, and the Wallabies is the number one team, and a lot of resources and a lot of funds go to. The, uh, the, the Wallabies, and, and not a lot gets pushed down, particularly to that club level. There's a real disconnect where a majority of the players are playing at a club level, and they don't see a lot of resources.
1: 14 minutes away from two, telephone number oh eight hundred one five zero. 150 um, This show brought to you by Bunnings. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Mark Watson in for Ricardo. Steve Devine in for Justin Marshall. Fair to say, two better-looking gentlemen this week. Fair to say, fair to say. We'll take a break anyway. We're allowed to glow in our glory, aren't we? Every job's got its fringe benefits. Why can't we celebrate our magnificence, our beauty? Boomfa. Boomfa. Yes, Two Faces actually made for TV. Mark Watson, Steve Devine, and for Ricardo and for um, Justin Marshall, <laughs> taking your calls. I 150 eight hundred one five zero eight double one. Steve Devine in studio. Uh, look, uh, we're going to catch up with Peter Mears, Australian broadcaster, after two o'clock to maybe delve into um, the state of Australian rugby. Have a look at the Australian Super Rugby teams. What some of them have played six games already, haven't they? I think it's it's the Brumbies are still top of the table, and this can. Con, sort of convoluted is that the word? convoluted points table I sort of um, all a little bit confused but like red light orange like pink light
2: yeah I think all the Aussie teams have had six games um, it's just us with the COVID restrictions that, are, that have dropped a couple but will be made up over the next couple of weeks which is mm. pretty unfair for a few teams but it is what it is I suppose
1: I'd mentioned to you that you know Peter Mears had said to me previously that he felt that you know sort of for a long period Australia always had maybe had the edge of us edge on New Zealand sides when it came to the back line and New Zealand had the forwards and then we sort of became the complete side and you sort of identified the early 2000s and an Australian and his influence on New Zealand rugby and McBurn.
2: Yeah I remember I was playing early um, sort of early 2000s it must have been about 03, 04 or some, somewhere like that McBurn came it was an Aussie rules um, professional Played a lot of Aussie rules and as a bit of a superstar, and he came over as a, a technical advisor to help with skills. And he he just broke everything down into Have do you know do you know you, do you know what a good kicking technique is? And it was like, well, no, know no, just kick the ball? So
1: so he looked at the biomechanics.
2: Yeah, all that. Yeah, that was a hundred percent. It was, uh, and he just broke it down into simple skill of biomechanics, and all of a sudden players were uh, had stopped their toral bombs. The torpedo kicking and it was all this punt kicking and um, probably not quite as long, but way more consistent and you know, better better accuracy and it just broke everything down. And all of a sudden, New Zealand teams all jump all the all the super provinces. You know, got caught, taught these skills and it wasn't tackle technique as well as kicking and passing. And and then all of a sudden, the biomechanically like we were bigger and stronger and faster. But all of a sudden, then we had the skill and and New Zealand rugby like. I'd say from maybe '05 through to you know the last World Cup, we've been you know there or thereabouts in world rugby, and you know we had big guys that were strong and skillful. And um,
1: it's interesting, isn't it, that New Zealand had the ability to look outside of rugby to maybe to find some knowledge to to. Um, expand the intellectual property and to try and continue to stay ahead of the game Um, and it's always been my criticism of rugby league that I think rugby league sometimes, particularly the Warriors, they look to rugby league to solve their problems and I think sometimes the answers can actually lie in other sports Do we need to be open minded? Do we need to go and have a look at say what the NFL are doing? I mean the work those guys do in terms of their core strengths and stuff seems to be just at another level.
2: Well in terms of um, repeated speed and getting you know the best out of their athletes the NFL guys can, can run Repeated speed times like no one else on the planet. So uh, uh, you know, rugby's come a long way from you just go for a three k run, and if you can run fast at three k, then you're going to be fit. You know, rugby's not that game anymore. It's it's a lot about repeated speed and you know getting. You know, the body doing massive amounts of exercise recover really fast, and then doing again really quickly. So, NFL is an option in terms of fitness. I would imagine. Um, I I know that Joe Smith's back from the from the northern hemisphere. I know he's going to have an influence on New Zealand rugby. just with the...
1: We can't be arrogant enough now, can we, not to take a look at what Northern Hemisphere Rugby oh. are doing. We are historically, we've always said, look, take our IP, but we're not going to look at yours. We're better than you, but we can't be that arrogant.
2: I mean, time. if the All Black coaches are not looking at the French team and saying, um, what are they doing so well, then we're in some serious trouble because it's pretty clear right now they're the number one team in the world. Just
1: drinking lots of red wine, eating snails and a lot of romance
2: that's all it takes. If that's
1: all it takes, <laughs> all it I might takes, put my hand up. I might put my hand up. X I'm
2: Factor, X Factor, me please. Prepared to go over there for a for a tiki <laughs> tour to see see what's involved for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, hey, look, if you do want to uh, text us through double eight double three, we've just had someone saying, "Good to see uh, fans back at women's cricket and also back at Super Rugby games." It was
2: good, wasn't it? Wasn't yeah, it? absolutely. Uh, uh, I mean, did you lift as
1: a player when you had a good crowd?
2: It was just it just added to the moment, right? It just it would just added. You know, back in the early days, you'd have 43,000 at Eden Park on a bad day for ITM. You know, it was just, it was just amazing. I remember my first game over here, I was meant to play for Auckland, uh Renfley Shield match in uh, Hamilton, 1998 it was, it was the first competition game of the um, NPC back then. I was injured, I got injured, I almost got broken in half by Todd of the, the week before. So I went down on the bus with the team and um, sat in the grandstands, and I couldn't believe. I just could not believe cowbells and whatnot. I could not believe the carry-on of the crowd. And to this day, I'll never forget that.
1: There you go. Hey, we continue our rugby discussion. We will look at the Chiefs Crusaders game as well and have a look at the Reds Waratahs game from last night. Also Fiji and Drua, where Mick Byrne, who we've just been talking about, is uh, part of that management setup as well. So you're listening to SENZ, Mark Watson, alongside of me, Steve Devine. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trip. It's Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball with the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run on SENZ. Very much a tribute goes out to the Foo Fighters. Taylor Hawkins, their drummer, passing away yesterday suddenly at the age of 50. A lot of music fans out there uh, just shaking their head. Cannot quite believe it. They sort of p- propose to be touring here later in the year. You're listening to SENZ. The telephone number is 800 150 Now alongside me, a man who's played 10 tests for the All Blacks and he comes from Bogabri, Bog- Bog- Boggabry. Boggabry. Boggabry yep. in Australia. And he went to Joey's. In Sydney, Peter Mears, Good afternoon, welcome. And Steve Devine. I remember you well, Steve. How you doing? Should
4: have played a lot more.
2: Uh, yeah, I, was, I was trying to. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you were a country bloke, weren't
2: you? Yep, I grew up out in Bogabri, and then um, where is Bogabri? What state centre? No, North New South Wales, northwest New South Wales. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, not like a lot. John Hipwell. Yeah, not a lot going on out there. But who, who uh, was that?
1: Who was that, Peter? Like Johnny Hipwell.
2: I think um,
4: played halfback for the Wallabies for many years, John Hipple.
2: Yeah, I think um, um, the number eight for the Reds at the moment. Um, his name just Harry Wilson. Yeah, Wilson. He's he's the next town out for me in the Narrabri. He grew up in Narrabri, so there's there's a few from out in the area that have kicked around.
4: Yeah, Chris Latham comes from out there.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yep.
1: Hey um, Peter what did you make last night of the performance between the Reds and the um, Waratahs It was a state of origin class can we use that term Can we use a rugby league term to describe rugby in Australia
4: It was a classic wasn't it I thought uh, Bob Templeton would be cheering in rugby heaven Because Queensland played real classic wet weather rugby And it was a good match despite that downpour they had I thought it would be terrible
2: yeah there was a uh, yeah it was uh, my what the Waratah's team right now are just super 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 young but they have some um, they have some talent there do you, do you think they've done it the right way around by just having a, a whole team of, of of young talent rather than a few old heads
4: I do I think it's the um, the the policy that Brad Thorne has used with the Reds uh, the first couple of years he struggled and the team struggled to win matches because they were so young and inexperienced, but he stuck with them and it's proving successful now. And to give the Tars their due, they were missing a lot of their stars. I mean, Michael Hooper, Jake Gordon, Lucky Swinton, Ben Donaldson, uh, Izzy Parisi, the Wallaby Centre, and um, DC, the coach. Darren Coleman had COVID, so he was not at the ground, so it was. they were up against it playing at their fortress of Suncorp where the Queensland Reds had won 11 in a row and including three matches against New South Wales in a row, so they were always up against it. I thought it was a good match. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Queensland played some pretty good football and uh, I thought Caniela Tupo was just extraordinary.
1: Mm. Peter, I, I'm not sure how much Super Rugby you've watched from the New Zealand franchises, but can you sort of gauge sort of how these sides might line up, how how the Australian teams might go against the New Zealand sides once they do come together?
4: Well, going on last year, you'd say they've got Buckleys <laughs> because we thought that the uh, Australian teams would do pretty well, particularly the Reds and the Brumbies, but they got flogged. It was just amazing how one-sided the clashes, the Trans-Tasman clashes were, uh, but seeing Moana Pacifica had a win over the Hurricanes, so there's some hope there. You can beat the New Zealand teams, but there's uh, always been such a, a difference in standard. Uh, let's just hope that it's like 2011 and the Reds can do what they did 10 years ago.
2: Yeah, mate, I I I, I see. I just see in the Aussie game... Like um, the Brumbies and the Reds are, are clear, clearly the best two teams. Do uh, do we need to dilute Australian rugby to to help them? Um, at the moment, there just seems to be, um, you know, there's two good teams and and not a lot between the rest of the others.
4: You know, I'm of the mind that I think less teams would be better. I think four rather than five would be better. Uh, the Rebels haven't won a game this season. Um, you know, the uh, the force really struggled. They were kicked out for a couple of seasons and then came back. And they've got a, a very strong, small following, I suppose. But, um, you know, let's face it, the standard is nowhere near what it needs to be. Except, as you say, the Reds and the Brumbies are playing pretty good football. I'm really looking forward to seeing how they fare against the New Zealand mm. sides. Um, but, but but they've been playing pretty well and next saturday will be a beauty because those two teams at the top of the table will clash.
1: Peter why why four teams though why not just three? What's your what what's the ideology behind four teams? Okay we've we've agreed that five's too many you sort of come out and said four but why not three?
4: Yeah, you could. Um that's how they started but I suppose it was for the Sansa wanting to have numbers that were easier for the draw and to try and promote the, uh, the code. In Australia, we're different to everywhere else, I suppose, because we've got four codes of football. And so they're trying to keep rugby alive. But, um, it's, it's on life support, really, in Melbourne, where you're up against Australian rules, and in Perth, because there are Aussie rules states, and they, you've got to give it to the AFL. They're doing a terrific job of marketing and promoting and covering the game. You're really in the minority here when you're a
2: rugby fan. Wouldn't it make sense to? Wouldn't it make sense if you're trying to create a product that you make the product better by having uh, a stronger product um, by having five teams? Again, it's just you just you don't have the depth of players to, and, and you know the product suffering because you got teams like the Rebels and the Force that are not performing that well. Um, but if you had. Oh, great three like back in the old days the Brumbies the Reds and the Waratars they were always there or thereabouts you know oh, tough for a long time yeah. the Brumbies were, were the pinnacle really
4: yeah they were and I'm with you I'm old enough to remember the good old days when the Australian teams were fairly competitive That they started the Super Rugby in 96 you know I thought the Australian teams the three that you mentioned were more than competitive with New Zealand teams it was uh, pretty well balanced but it seems to have gone completely the other way and uh it almost got to the stage where New Zealand would say, "We don't want to play against you guys.
2: You're not good enough." Yeah, I've got. See, so I've got a lot of mates still over in Aussie, and they they have turned to league and Aussie rules just because they're, they're 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 sick and tired of watching a product that doesn't perform week in and week out for them. You know, and that's the harsh reality of Aussie. I guess there's there's a lot of other sports to compete with over there, right?
4: Well, I'm biased. I mean, I called rugby league for 18 years in Brisbane, and I loved it at the time. I don't think the game has progressed. I think it's become too repetitious, and I've lost interest in rugby league. But uh, you're up against it because the media here is so switched on to rugby league and AFL. Rugby union hardly gets a mention. You know, 10 pages back in the sports section, you get one or two paragraphs. Mm. And it's uh, very difficult for us to try and lift our standard when you play the mighty All Blacks, for example, or you go to the World Cup and you come up against the top European sides, I'm amazed how well we do. How we ever won two World Cups is incredible, really.
1: Peter, we were talking um, about two or three weeks um, back and we we sort of talked about we're talking about Greg Cornelson, and we're talking about the Wallabies in the 70s and 80s, and you always felt that Australian teams probably had better back lines and the All Blacks probably had better forward packs. But in more recent times, it's been the All Blacks, better forwards, better backs. Just having that conversation with Steve here um, earlier, and Steve very much identifying that Australian rugby's now become too much like rugby league. There's too much looking to try and run over the opposition, and that Australian backs are not playing the way... Australian backs once played. Do you sort of share that sentiment?
4: Yeah, I do. Uh, I think it's the modern game. The rules of the game have changed, so someone like me playing in the centres, which I did when I played the game, get absolutely smashed because they're all monsters at least 100 kilos. You know, you get the odd one who's a bit smaller than that, but uh, they're the exception. Uh, Damien McKenzie, from, for example, uh, Brayton Paul, so that sort of player. But um, yeah, I, I think there's too much uh, winning the collision, as the phrase is used often, not uh, creating the gaps and passing to put players into gaps as we used to do in the old days. Uh, perhaps it's uh, looking through rose-coloured glasses at the old days and as, as we get older, we think that the good old days were better than they are now. But uh, I'm a bit with you, Steve. I, I really think um, the backline play was more imaginative in the old days. But the modern game, you know, as far as I'm concerned, rucking, if you had rucking, you'd get the forwards into one spot in the field and have the backs making more breaks because there's more room out wide. Now, the way the game's played now, you've got locks and uh, prop forwards hanging out on the wing, covering the whole breadth of the field, and wingers don't get the same room to move as they used to in the old days.
2: Yeah, I just see when when you're not when you're a team not as big and strong as the opposition team, it just makes no sense to me to run directly into them. Um, The only way a smaller, faster team can beat a bigger, stronger team is by speed and running around them. And I just the Aussies still try. I see still try and go over the top of teams, and like it's just not going to work against New Zealand. It just it's just not going to work.
4: Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Ew, but um, we... I think it is the influence. We see so much rugby league here that, you know, we naturally we're influenced by the way that they play the game. Um, you know, like I always think if we had the players, the athletes that are playing AFL and rugby league and if they're playing rugby union, we'd more than compete with you. But uh, we've got such a numerical disadvantage that it's we're always up against it. And you're right, you've got to play smart. And that's where I think... Coaches who are inventive and innovative. Um, like Daryl Harbright, we were recalling Greg Cornelson's four tries in 1978 uh, in Eden Park against the run of play, I suppose you'd say. They they won that game. but Clever short line-outs and different tactics. Uh, clever sidestepping backs like Ken Wright, John Hipple. Um, you know, you had to be inventive. And I think uh, the coaches... Uh, like Rod McQueen for me who coached successful World Cup winning sides um, in 1999 he, he was a brilliant coach and what he did with the teams that were under him like the Brumbies and the Australian team he was so clever that he made the most of what we had and that you've got to think outside the square don't you Mark?
2: Yeah I, like I see someone like Dave Rennie who's, who's you know obviously learnt his trade here in New Zealand I I don't I, – I, 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 him trying to take a New Zealand game to Australia, I just don't think it's going to work. They just don't have – The plumbing. They don't have the plumbing. And and the, and the times the Wallabies have beat the All Blacks, I look – the way they've done it is with speed. And they've had r- super quick ruck ball. They've got over the advantage line. And, and New Zealand struggle to keep up. I, I look at a few games over the last few years where they have won, and it's just been speed. I I don't understand why the the super franchises in Australia ain't – Really pushing hard to get that speed factor into their into their games because they're not gonna they're not gonna compete one on one for size.
4: Yeah, I think back to the two thousand and three Rugby World Cup where Eddie Jones coached the Wallabies and used surprise tactics against the All Blacks in the semi final by not kicking the ball, just keeping it ball in hand and moving it quickly, very quick recycling of the ball, and I think the uh, New Zealand team didn't touch the ball for the first six minutes. Uh, And you had brilliant players there, you know, Carlos Spencer and the like, but they were frustrated, puzzled by the Australian tactics. And that's what I mean in thinking outside the square. And I think that's why Eddie Jones has had some success over in Britain as well with England, because he's uh, clever and innovative. He's not going so well this season, but uh, after a while, your surprise tactics aren't a
1: surprise anymore.
2: Uh, I was part of that team and I'd still prefer not to talk about it if, if we could.
1: <laughs> hey, um, uh, what was I going to say, Peter? You know, you go back, you, you mentioned some of the great players and, and certainly the two players that stand out through the 1990s when I was probably, you know, r- rugby uh, at my highest level of arousal, if I can use that word, with um, Timmy Horn and... Um, Jason, uh, Jason, little Tim and a uh, little uh, your midfield combination. Uh, the likes of Stephen Larkham and stuff. A little bit later, but where is the where is the legacy off the back of those players? I mean, surely that that sort of you get that legacy, you get that follow through from that younger age group.
4: Yeah, good question. Um, I think you hit it on the head by saying that the the tactics, the laws of the game of have- prevented players like you mentioned Horan and Little Campisi, of course, brilliant running backs, but made the most of the old laws where you had a lot more room to move. And, you know, running skills were so important. Nowadays, they don't seem to work so much on beating a man as uh, you powering through the, the tackle uh, by sheer strength and weight. And, you know, if you're 110 kilos and you're playing in the centre, you're not going to be very agile and manoeuvrable, in my mind. Um if you're a little fella, you've got to develop the skills of elusiveness. And, uh, you know, those two players, Horan and Little, you've got to remember they grew up together on the Darling Downs. They played football together from the age of about 10 and they had wonderful understanding. Uh, they were blooded very young, went into the Wallabies straight from school pretty well. Uh, you know, who's the successor these days? I mean, you look at uh, someone like Hunter Paisami. He's only a little fellow. He's clever and he can beat a man, but he runs into a lot of big guys and you wonder how long it'll last. Um, Lola Sio, another youngster who's coming onto the horizon and has played pretty well in his first couple of seasons for the Wallabies. Uh, you know, I, I can't really single out somebody who I think is a genius. Um, Andrew Callaway, when he came into the Wallabies team last season, scored a try in just about every Test match, including against the, the French. So there are players on the fringes who are coming through, but nobody to get what I would call really excited about. Uh, what do you think? Steve?
2: I, I think there's there's almost a Wallaby team playing internationally that would probably take on the Wallaby team. You know, they, they have lost a lot of players uh, to offshore. Um, is is that, a, is that how big of a factor is it not having um, your your preferred team in the country?
4: Yeah, I agree with. Well, they're changing the the ghetto law, whereby you couldn't play for Australia unless you'd played more than sixty Test matches. But that doesn't so they're that... going to uh, water that down and call it the offshore <laughs> uh, Wallaby selection or policy or something. They've got a new name for it. Which means that players like, say, Samu Karevi, who's been so good in the last couple of years, he's taken the money and gone overseas, as many of them do. Where's Quade Kerpa? He was brilliant last season. If you got those two, just those two players back to the Wallaby back line, look at the difference it would make. Uh, there's got to be more of an incentive for the players to come back to Australia and play locally and get picked
2: for the wallabies. Doesn't that make it worse if you make it easier for players to be selected offshore because just say I'm playing for New South Wales right and I'm having a reasonable season and then all of a sudden, you know, all you want to do I know, I was myself I wanted I had a game for the waratahs and all I wanted to do was be a wallaby when I was younger and then you know, all of a sudden someone gets brought back in from offshore to be the wallaby and then I'm left feeling like, well, why, why should I hang around? Why don't I go over and make some cash offshore as well? I just I don't understand why allowing more people to go offshore and come back and be selected for the Wallabies is going to help you. Isn't that going to make it worse?
4: Well, you can't have it both ways, you know. Uh, the money is so good in France and Japan at the moment that uh, you'd be a fool if you didn't take the offer. And players like Karevi, you know, at the peak of his career... Because he's uh, married and got a family and looking for the future, wants to get some sort of security. And so he has to take the money. And as much as he'd like to be playing for the Wallabies, the laws under the Ghetto law forbade him doing so. So from my mind, South Africa haven't got a Ghetto law. They allow overseas players to come back and play for the Springboks.
1: Why not the Wallabies? Mm. Peter, Um, 18 minutes after two, you are listening to SENZ. Peter Mears, Rugby Commentator of Australia, our guest on the program. Steve Devine uh, with me in studio. Telephone numbers is 0800 You can text your thoughts on double eight double three. Another little discussion we were having prior to 2 o'clock, Peter, is regarding coaching. Um, how do you perceive the depth of coaching in Australian rugby from an Australian citizen point of view not New Zealanders coming in but you know coaches that are born and bred out of Australia
4: I think we've got some very good coaches at um, club level Uh, Mick Heenan coaching the University of Queensland has won 10 premierships in a row Uh, Jason Gilmore who's defence coach for the Waratahs was a Queensland coach that I know of Uh, I think he's up to the top level Dan McKellar, of course, is an Australian. He, he to, to my mind should be the Wallaby coach. He's been assisting uh, with the Wallabies, but he to me to me he's certainly got the ability, of the Brumbies coach, to go to the very top level. I think we're a bit cap in hand when it comes to overseas coaches, you know, we think that because you've coached the Chiefs and you might have coached the All Blacks, you know, that you're a better coach than the Wallabies or Queensland or the Brumbies. Um, You know, there's no lack of talent amongst the coaching ranks, to my mind, there's plenty of them, and they're certainly doing a good job at club level. I think the standard of club football in Sydney and Brisbane, at least, is very, very high, the best it's ever been, in my opinion. So uh, I can't see why coaches can't go to the top level and why we keep employing overseas coaches.
2: Yeah, I have a I have a lot of friends who uh, live in Sydney still and they, they often they would way prefer to go to watch um, some shoot shield rugby in Sydney than they would to go to a Waratah's game at the moment. Just that disconnect between the two is, is quite, you know, it, it's an issue that needs to be solved. I guess it's a progression thing for players to get to the Waratah level but also for coaches, you know. it's it's That shoot shield comp I know in Sydney is pretty good, eh? Yeah, I think it's terrific.
4: I watch it, a lot of it in TV. What's wrong with the Waratahs, Steve? I mean, you're a former Waratah yourself. I don't know the inner workings of the Waratahs, but I can't believe with the number of players they've got and the strength of the club competition that on the field they lost every match last season.
2: Yeah, well, they they, they were terrible last year. I I've, I've felt and from friends I've got over there in the game, is that the disconnect, you can have... You can have someone that plays shoot shield rugby uh, club competition in Sydney have an outstanding season and and just say he's a number ten. He could be the pick. It could be pick of the competition. Who doesn't get picked for the Waratahs because there's a kid that has more potential they see and. Um, you know, there's nothing like if you're performing at Shoot Shield, you should be paying for the royals. That that's my feeling. and I've got a real understanding that that's not the case. That they select these kids that possibly can be, but they haven't learned their trade, and they're, and they're not hardened professionals, and they just go for these super kids that that you know haven't really performed a, at that level. And I know, I know last year that's where they've they've come undone. I know this year they've stuck with a with a young team just to blood them and give them time, but. If you're getting beat up week in, week out, and still at a 22-year-old, 20, you know, are you going to make it to 28 when you're in your prime? I'm, I'm not so sure.
4: And the other thing is the poaching by rugby league. Uh, I thought a classic case was Kalen Ponga, who, of course, is playing for Newcastle in the rugby league uh, NRL in Australia. Uh, brilliant talent, and he was at Churchy School. Uh, he had his fees paid for by the rugby union to go to Churchy. His parents didn't have a lot of money, it was an expensive school, and then uh, at the age of fifteen, he signed with rugby league. So, how do you hold on to the rugby union talent against the poaching efforts of the rugby league talent scouts?
2: Yeah, Joseph Saley is another one who was at Kings King School in Sydney, who was signed yeah. as a sixteen-year-old to play for the South. So I think he's now at the Ro- Roosters. He's now at the Roosters yep. on a on a million dollars a year contract out of school. I mean, it's pretty hard to compete with cash like that to to come and play Super Rugby.
4: Yeah, it sure is, mate. <laughs> I don't know what the solution is, but you do see a number of league players who come back to Union, uh, which is pleasing to see.
2: Um, Tom Wright, I think, for the Brumbies was a, was a Joey's boy. Yeah. Uh, went to Manly for two years, played um, their... The, what's the Rugby League uh, Young Competition? Um, the under-21s Rugby League comp they have. He played that for a couple of years and has gone back to the Brumbies, obviously, the last two years. And as well, he's playing, playing some pretty good footy. So, yeah, a lot do come back, which is good.
4: Yeah, Tom Wright scored a try in just about every game for the Brumbies this season. He's in terrific form. He's, he's probably a first-choice winger for the Wallabies.
2: Yeah, he, he was a schoolboy. Ball- I,
4: think, I think the problem is the, the pathway system. They earmark these kids when they're you know, 13, 14 years of age and put them into uh, academies. And then the, the kids who are unorthodox, who come from outside the academies, like, say, Steve Larkham, as a young bloke. You know, he wasn't seen as a future star, and he was different. And I think probably Campese at that age was similar because he was so different. But, um, Is that's that's one of the problems. I think we're too rigid in our selection policies uh, with the kids.
2: Is there any uh, under eighty-five weight restricted rugby programs in 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 Aussie?
4: No, no, not not that I'm aware of.
2: See, that that's a big thing.
4: Uh, it's it, it, it's a bit of a problem because the Polynesian kids are so big. It, uh, intimidates
2: the little white guys. Yeah, I mean, that's a problem right across the board because some some of those, as you said, little white guys don't develop until they're sort of 17, 18. And, you know, by that time they've been beaten up enough not to be playing rugby, which which is a real concern. I know there's a big push here to get kids um, to play 85 kg rugby to keep them in the game until they can develop and get a bit older and stronger.
4: Yeah, yeah, the rugby league's got it here in Australia, but I don't think the rugby union has that Age, weight, uh, weight division system. We used to have it many, many years ago when I was a kid, but um, not now, as far as I'm aware. Uh, What do you do? I mean, those, those Tongan and Fijian kids grow so big so soon that little young Johnny wants to go up and play soccer because he doesn't want to get smashed.
2: Yeah, I find it's mostly little Johnny's mum that wants him to go play soccer because (laughs) she doesn't want him to get smashed.
1: (laughs) Uh, Hey, Peter, lovely to have you on the program. Thank you for your time this afternoon or this morning, your time over there on the Central Coast.
4: Thanks, Wadda. Great to talk to you. And Steve, lovely to hear from you after all these years. I admired you very much as a footballer. You should have played more for the Wallabies.
2: (laughs) No, no, I made the right decision. (laughs)
1: He's <laughs> got that all-black jersey pinned up on the wall at home there, Peter. Thank you. Peter Mears there out of Australia. Telephone number is 0800 150 You can text us here on double eight double two. Somebody just texted in earlier saying, um, obviously the Hurricanes were poor on Friday night. They took Moana Pacifica lightly. The key fact that shows this is not taking the points when on offer, specifically talking about taking goals when they are out in front. Anyway, keep your thoughts coming. We'll take a wee break. We'll come back with more no bumfer here <laughs> Steve Devine have you got a catch cry
2: oh no not at the moment I'm still definitely not bumfer no no mine's <laughs> don't
1: confuse ability with ambition uh, anyway um, it is 20, uh, 2.30 anyway if you want to phone the program feel free Oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one. you can text us here on 8833 uh, just a reminder too we do I just want to encourage everybody um, to check out Bunnings um, They're there to basically take the guesswork out, make your job easier, because helping business is their trade. So if you are thinking about going to one of those um, homeware building suppliers, do check out Bunnings, getting behind the show here on SENZ. It is 29 minutes away from three. Um, Interesting conversation there with Peter Mears, and we were just having a little bit of a chat um, during that commercial break. And we're both big believers that Club rugby, there needs to be more emphasis in New Zealand placed back on club rugby right down to investing in better facilities at club level. Uh, and I'm a big believer that if I was running New Zealand rugby, I'd be saying to Sky Television, nothing against Sky, do a great job, saying, hey, um, we love the fact that you're broadcasting schoolboy rugby, but we want it to stop under our broadcast agreement, and we want you to now just start broadcasting club rugby, same concept, and we will bring in a national club competition and and we can follow that all the way through. So that what we do is then we shift the game away from size at a younger level, and schoolboy rugby being the stepping stone. And let's be honest, at a size at schoolboy level, which seems to get the job done. And we then make club rugby the stepping stone, and that then makes the club scene a lot healthier.
2: Yeah, no, I just think I just think communities need, um, particularly where we've come from the last couple of years, communities need more of a community feel, and. A rugby club in the in in days gone past, like the seventies and eighties, you would as a kid go to a rugby club on a Saturday and you spend your afternoon there, you know. And New Zealand rugby was strong, and the communities were playing, and the communities would play other communities, and and it was just it was just a sort of almost a way of life in New Zealand. And I think we've really gone away from that. We've we've gone really top heavy with Super Rugby, professional, and and, and All Blacks. So I just. Like I, I've coached at Ponsonby for for you know ten fifteen years. My kids have played there, and um, fantastic club, huge junior club. But uh, I used to be worried on a Wednesday night at, at training that one of the kids had drowned on, on the field because you know the water and the puddles were were so horrific. There's you know horrific lights you can hardly see and. I just think you know these kids come out of school and they've got facilities like at St Kent's and Kings. You know they're just these amazing facilities, and they hit club rugby and they're like, oh my god, they don't even have a hot shower. You know after training, there's just there's a real disconnect there. I know for a fact, and the kids are like, well, why am I doing this run around in the dark and in the wet and you know almost drowning in training? It's I just more more money and emphasis can be spent on that to make more of a community. But,
1: but it seems to me, but it seems to me though, and you've been a player, but it seems to me, I mean, and you now stand back, you've got kids and so you maybe look at things more holistically where I think a lot of players in the here and the now, they look at it through their own eyes. Hey, I'm a professional, I want more money. And I think that, I think the Players Association, I think they've also got too much power now. I think the players are asking for too much. I know what they can get paid overseas, but I'll still argue their value is still only really based on what they do here in New Zealand. So you still need the New Zealand game to a degree. But I struggle when I see a new $200 million agreement being drawn up with overseas investors, the Players Association getting 38% of that, and the 14 major unions getting a million dollars each. I'm thinking, what the hell is a million? What does that million dollars do for Auckland rugby, really, in the grand scheme of things, when one player playing for the Blues potentially is on a million bucks? I'm sorry, the investment should be in the infrastructure and the grassroots and then the top players. If they want to go overseas, let them go.
2: Yeah, well, in, in terms of – I mean, Auckland don't even have infrastructure. They don't even have a training field as such. Like, you know, one of our biggest clubs in New Zealand, Auckland Rugby, don't have training facilities. They, they you know, they, they don't have anything. They're, but why? Why? Well, that's 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 a great answer. You, you know, invest and in that's, bricks
1: and mortar, invest in coaches, and that's
2: and that's why our communities are suffering because they, you know, they don't have facilities. See,
1: see, if you're going to go and play like last year, I mean, there's no, there doesn't appear to be any um, jeopardy for the players. I mean, last year the All Blacks lose to Ireland, they lose to France, they lose to drop a test to South Africa. See, I find that as a fan just unforgiving. You just cannot do that if you're going to hijack Super Rugby, pull players out and have them in All Black camps. You're going to um, you know, slowly erode club rugby. The all-black coaches get their way. They've got a staff of 25. You win, and you win everything. And if you're not, then you should be held accountable. But there doesn't seem to be any accountability. Oh,
2: I think that was those last three games of last year's end of season two were the worst three games I've seen the all-blacks mm. ever play.
1: But the players will still take their money. They'll still bank it all. And, yet, you know, the yeah. smaller unions around the country, like North Harbour and stuff, are struggling to stay afloat.
2: Yeah, well, mo- most most rugby clubs are struggling to stay afloat I would say because it's yeah it's it's pretty hard at the moment and uh, they need they need better facilities like Kids don't want to go to rugby training and do swimming practice. You know, that's that's the hard core fact of it. Is that they is need it? club r- club rugby clubs around the country need more funding and more facilities and better facilities.
1: Twenty four minutes away from three, you might want to have your say on this issue. Uh, you don't have to agree with us. we Just here to just challenge some of the thinking out there. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight double one. Steve Devine, a man who played ten tests for the All Blacks, um, Maris boy originally.
2: Yeah, played for Maris. Played a couple of games, uh, a couple of seasons for Suburbs as, as yeah, well. Manapah
1: Grammar I'm Suburbs and Ponsonby, thats our feeder. Oh, yeah. Your kids are at Manapah Grammar, aren't
2: they? My, my boys are at Manapah Grammar School. Yep. Yeah. Good on you, mate. Good on you. Centennial year, big year this yes, year. Yes, big, man, coming coming big, up, big right, year coming up, right? For sure.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we've just got to throw that in. Part of the Watto brand. Twenty-three minutes away from three o'clock. We'll take a break. Good couple of cowbells,
5: I it, didn't it? Got on the way out, and it was good. To, um, good to be back. Uh, Officially oh, for the crowds and the atmosphere and, and a hell of a game. You know. From a couple of weeks ago, we were, um, it was tough just to hear them sing a song the change next year at and We hadn't been at home for a while either, and uh, we wanted to make sure we come back here and you know, have it finished, we're proud of. A couple of weeks ago, obviously, we didn't finish the job, and um, we learned a, a lot of that, so it's pleasing to see uh, the lessons were out there.
1: How much did that defeat drive you on, I guess? the way you
5: did it tonight as well and the physicality and that it it's dominated in parts the way you did. Yeah, uh, this sort of thing, it's obviously it's obviously you need to pay a team two weeks in a row, you know, and obviously get beat by them at home, and, um, you know, we're a at home to make sure we get the result and then to pay them straight away at their home is a, is a, is a great opportunity for you to take your bounce back and um, show how much it cares to you, what it means to you to pay. For for the Crusaders, so in that game's hundred, so it was a combination of the both, and you know we've had a couple of hundreds at the end going to plant, um, so we want to make sure this one did.
1: Scott Robertson, there, the coach of the Crusaders, bouncing back after being beaten by the Chiefs only a couple of weeks ago in Christchurch. Well, they reversed their fortunes; they won in Hamilton last night. Steve Devine, a much improved performance from the Crusaders. What did they improve on last night? from where they were 2 weeks ago. Yeah, it
2: was a more classic Crusader game, wasn't it? They listen, they 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 were the Crusaders of old. They were physical. Um they got turnovers and then they found space quickly from the turnovers. So I know in, in the end the score probably was a little bit, you know, evened out to the Chiefs, but yeah, the Crusaders were clinical. They were they were just the Crusaders of old, tough, tough up front, would tackle anything and you know every single ruck was it was a competition to to hang on to the ball and you know, the, the, the Chiefs struggled early, to be fair, and, you know, that they could have run away with it a little bit. But, you know, that they, the Chiefs got their game going in that second half. They sort of hung on to the, some ball and tried to, to build some phases. They, they, they just weren't quite able to get over that, that clinical Crusaders performance.
1: Yeah, we talked earlier about the Blues maybe just lacking that little bit of hardness. There's something not quite clicking at the moment with them. But that Crusaders team just seems to be so clinical. And one player drops out, another player drops in, and there's just that understanding.
2: Yeah, they they they're very good. They are very good at what they do. Like they don't do everything the same as everyone else. They they might not have um you know the best of everything, but they they work bloody hard for each other and they're very good at what they do. Everyone knows what they do and where they do it and they're just they're very clinical at it and and it's hard to beat when they get it right.
1: Um Alex Mankerville
2: for the yes. Chiefs. Oh,
1: yeah, I, I love those players that just every week Show up, but still never seem to quite get the kudos. You know, they're probably not going to be in the all-black frame at any point. Um, Richard Buckman for the Highlanders in previous years was another one. How good is Alex Nangivil?
2: Yeah, I thought he's outstanding last night. He, he's clearly a, um, you know, he's he's a he's a rugby player. He he doesn't come across as being the quickest and fastest and strongest, but man, he can run some lines. Um, that, that Chiefs back line when they get it together they're, they're red hot like they they should have broke the Blues a couple of weeks at Eden Park they they sort of just fumbled a few balls here and there but they they, they attacked the line and they attacked the line hard particularly from scrum and, and it's really good to see and 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 the Nankervilles try last night was just exactly that they all they all picked the line and all ran it and he was the one in space and they hit him and he, he rolls in untouched and, and,
1: and Sean Stevenson another player that, you know, who I, I would suggest would walk into international side in the world
2: oh absolutely I think he's the most capped um, Schoolboy at Auckland Grammar. I think he's played more games for Auckland Grammar First Fifteen than anyone else. He's a he's an athlete. Um, he's a mature head, and I'm sure if he got a chance in an All Black jumper, I'm sure he'd do it justice.
1: Mm. Sam Kane. He has his detractors. What did you make of his performance?
2: Yeah, he's solid. Um, it, it was a pretty brutal game. Uh, he he was there or thereabouts. He got some good turnovers. Um, he he's in the middle. It was it was a brutal um, loose forward. You know. Competition between those two two back rows. I, I,
1: I think the thing with Sam Cane is you're right. He's just a master of the dark arts, isn't he? He's a master of doing that that, that hard work, the things at the breakdown. Um, need, but, you, but but you, you don't hear his name because he's not that guy that's going to burst ten meters up the middle of the park.
2: You don't. You don't need a team of those players. You need. a Team of Sam Kane's at the end of the day, who who are smashing rucks. It's what the Blues are missing, yeah, who are smashing rucks and winning turnovers, and you know that's the dark stuff that you need. You need at least one on your team, and if, if Sam kane well, he's doing, he's playing well. He's doing everything that he's done every other year. I I, I still, he's still all black number seven for me.
1: How concerned we should be by the injury of Brady Retallick. look like possibly a thumb injury.
2: Yeah, broken thumb possibly. Um, he was wincing at his shoulder a little bit, but I think in the end it was more of a thumb. Um, it'll, yeah. Uh, he, uh, for me, he hasn't hit great form this year. He, he's out of probably all the All Blacks right now. He's he's of, of one of the concerns. I don't think he's found the form that he had prior oh, to, uh, to can, Japan. Can we be concerned about Sam Whitelock? Um, I, I think Sam still trucks around pretty well. Um, I th- where Brody was before he left to Japan and where he's come back, I don't think he's hit those levels. I, and Sam um, White Lock is just consistent. He he is always there and thereabouts. So I, I, I yeah, Bro- Brody for me is just not quite back to where he was, and I'm not sure what that is.
1: 13 and a half minutes away from three. You're listening to SENZ, Mark Watson, Steve Devine, taking your calls on 0800 150 811. You can text the programme on double eight double three. No, it's Mark Watson, and alongside of me it is test All Black's Steve Devine. Uh, there you go. Um, anyway, it is coming up to nine minutes after three. After three o'clock, we're going to move away from rugby. I've got our yachting commentator, Peter Lester, on the programme too. We'll catch up with uh, Dobbo. Remember Dobbo's plays of the week? So, yeah, Dobby Dobson on the programme as well between three and four. Uh, Steve, I was just asking you, you, you come from um, Bogobrai.
2: Uh, Northern New South Wales. Your mum and dad are still over there. Yeah, mum and dad are still out in Bogobri. What um, are they doing, Bogobri? Uh, my dad's retired. He was like a, he was an electrician out those ways, so he's now retired and living living the good life. But imagine Boggabri. real estate's
1: cheap in Bogobri. Yeah, it's, it's pretty There's cheap. A lot of land in Australia.
2: They, they've done it well. Bogobri's really done it well um, with COVID. You know, they've been in isolation for probably 150 years, so they've, <laughs> they've, they've really nailed it. They've really nailed it.
1: it. Is it just dry? Oh, yeah. oh, sorry, I've got this perception of Australia. It's I close my ignorance.
2: It's it's flat and it's dry and yeah. it's hot. So, and what's the industry? Uh, cotton, cotton. Yeah, but because wow. because of the droughts the last few years, um, they haven't had uh, a lot of cotton because they haven't been uh, unable to pump water. Because with cotton you've got to uh, irrigate twice a year, f- flood the paddock. So, the, the, yeah, the cotton industry struggled the last few years. But with the rain, uh, see,
1: I never associate Australia with cotton.
2: Yeah, a huge industry out where I'm from, northwest. New there was like huge huge it's massive yeah. so yeah and uh yeah they're still out there it really you know you, like i said really nailed COVID down they they got that uh isolation thing down to to a fine art
1: so, so, so when you made your debut and played for the All Blacks, did your parents come over for all
2: that? Uh, I play. I was up in the UK. They didn't. UK? They didn't come over, but they yeah, they were watching. Dad. Uh, they were they were staunch um, All Black fans um, by the end. So yeah, it was it was a bit of a, a. I initially only came over for a year, so it wasn't really a thing, and then ended up staying and haven't really been back. So uh, yeah, mum and dad, you know, super proud, and you know, the whole town really super proud that uh, that I got to where I got to.
1: Have they got a billboard up like do you go on and go the home of? No, Steve no, Divine, and they've not. got the big sort of wrought iron bloody the area painting.
2: Be- the area produces quite a lot of um, sports stars. So uh, the next town out for me is called a town called Narrabri, and they've got a, a bit of a down at the park, a bit of a memorial to all the sports people from around the region. So I haven't seen it myself, but Mum and Dad were invited to a day, and I was I was put on a wall out there, and so
1: well, I, it's good though. And I think sometimes when you come from a small town, you play sport for all the right reasons, um, you know. And, and I think you can identify talent sometimes maybe a little bit easier in smaller towns. There's not as much politics. And kids, I think, play sport for the right reasons, where I think sometimes in the bigger cities, sometimes play sport for your parents or play sport for schools. And
2: Yeah, I mean, I only went to school to for big lunch and little lunch so I could run around and, and have a bit of fun. I wasn't very good at school, um, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, I'm an Aussie sport... Uh, it's pretty the same as New Zealand sport as a kid growing up. You know, you get your teeth into whatever you can and and have a run around and have a good time with your mates and and that's what it was for me and, I was lucky enough to go to, to boarding school in Sydney for my secondary schooling, and um, yeah, it was it was just amazing, a really big sporting school, and everything they did was was about uh, about doing as the best you can with what you had, and you had a great time.
1: And, and you got two young kids,
2: two young boys. Uh, one plays uh, rugby still, and one's into his cricket and hockey. And um, yeah, they're at Mags and 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 loving sport and, and aspirations
1: of playing first teams at those schools.
2: Yeah, uh, the oldest is. Um, Playing some pretty good cricket at the moment for the seconds. Uh, he's trying his hardest to break into the first, and he's also hoping to run around for the for the hockey team later in the year. In No,
1: the... oh, okay, I've got an old boys day on Friday actually, when I'm oh, playing cricket I, against I, the current first eleven team.
2: Yeah, yeah, okay. So I think he's going to be uh, like twelfth man in that. Oh, brilliant! So All right, hoping... what's his name? I uh, will. Will, kick, will him. kick him, kick him, kick him as hard as you want. Yeah, no, I'm gonna... to. Do?
1: Turn up, yeah. We've got. I think we've got eleven in the old boys team. Clearly, the first the first is not a bad side either. Well, Stuart Ork and Graham the other
2: week. If you're short sure of players, let me know. I'll just live over the back fence. I can come off a long run up and send oh, no, a few we, down. We might
1: have to do that. I've got your number now.
2: Beauty. Yeah, I'm in. No,
1: absolutely. All right. Um, we've still got about a minute. We could probably kill another minute. Should we kill another minute? Have we got anything else to talk about? Someone just saying here, texting in and say Yava, was one of those guys who was railroaded to be the next big thing, but maybe it was just too much for him." Wonder if they t- ever talked about the pressure they put on. I thought i say, say Atui Ava actually towards the end of his all-black career was playing good football. Uh, he,
2: so I played a lot. He came into he our about team. About 45 seconds. He seven. played in our team like as a 17-year-old as a, as a straight to school One of the most freakish talented kids I've ever seen in my life. And it was, it was a pity he got injured. He had a lot of injuries which was mm. his, his problem. One of the most freakish talents I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, no, I thought he got a bit of a rough deal because he made a couple of mistakes and then every time he did make a mistake we tended to just remember that one mistake. A lot of all-blacks were making mistakes. And so his brand became, or well, he makes mistakes. And every time he'd made one, it reinforced that. But that yeah. wasn't actually the case.
2: Yeah, and he was 20 at the time. You and know? he won a World Cup, 2011. Yeah. yeah, he's a freak. Absolute freak. Great man, too.
1: Yeah, there you go. Steve, divine privilege and pleasure.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks for listening, people. Yep,
1: and thank you to Bunnings.
0: When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it.